These verses are our reading for tonight and they've had me pondering just what on earth went down in these verses for there to be such a sharp disagreement between two very close friends, two people that had worked together, two people that had such a fruitful relationship in God and had impacted so many regions with the gospel. So I did what every sensible person did and started poking around on Google. And I want to read something that a man experienced whilst he was just having, I think it was a barbecue with a friend. And he wrote this, this was an epiphany for this man, and he said, and, and these are his words, he says, As the wind shall cut through the haze of smoke, I listened to my friend rattle off another story about what was happening back in the old college town. When suddenly he stopped mid-sentence and says, You know, Josh, I hate it when you do that. My mind was shaken off track. I was taken aback by the sudden critique. Hey, what exactly? What did I do? You do it all the time, he said. I can tell when you've checked out of the conversation and now you're thinking of the next thing you want to say. I was shocked and bewildered. No, I wasn't, I persisted. Yes, you were, he snapped back. You get this glazed over eyes and you this glazed over look in your eyes. It happens all the time. Still confused, I turned to my wife for support, only to be met with her nodding head and a quick reply. Yep, he's right, you do it all the time. Thinking of a quick comeback, I fired off the only thing I could muster. If I do it all the time, why is this the first I'm only hearing of it? My friend was forced to speak up. Because whenever anyone criticises you, you get all defensive. You're kind of an idiot at times, man. Ouch. By the way, I changed the word there. <laughs> that, re- that remark cut deep. Turning again to my wife, her head still nodded in agreement. She remarked, true story, you are a bit of an idiot when criticised. Again, the word changed. For the remainder of the evening, their concentrated attack on my identity was all I could think of. Had it really been like this all my life? If they knew, but didn't want want to tell me, how many other relationships had failed because of this? I decided that the next morning I was going to find some answers. So I called the friend that had known me the longest only to be met with the exact same reply. (laughs) That man had an eye-opening experience. just sat there. And all of a sudden, somebody decided to challenge him on one of his personality traits. I'm going to call this a blind spot. And I think everyone has what I'm going to call personality blind spots, things that we're not aware of. And if I was to ask you what your blind spots were... You shouldn't be able to give me the answer because then it's not a blind spot because you know exactly what it is. Something that's within us that when somebody hits on it suddenly strikes a nerve. We react in ways that might even surprise ourselves causing problems potentially for ourselves and for the other person potentially on the other side of our reaction. An example for me would be, I remember once I was in the town centre down in Glen Office and I'd phoned Karen for whatever the reason. And she told me that um, two of her childminding kids had chicken pox. Now my instant reaction was we need to keep our kids away from them. They've got some sort of plague thing that I don't want my kids anywhere near. <laughs> and the next word she followed up were, up were yeah, they've got chicken pox. I've invited them round, they're here the now. <laughs> And my reaction at that point was not very complimentary. And it ended with me putting the phone down. 
a blind spot had been hit there. I'm still not sure what it was, but I do think that it had something to do with, with my nursing training at that time, which was very much, if there is an infection problem, you don't stick your hands in it. <laughs> you try and avoid the spread of infection. And probably my very naive interpretation of chickenpox, apparently it's something that can't be avoided. I'm still not sure if I agree with that. But we have these blind spots. Every single person, and I will explain why I believe that in a bit. But what fascinates me here is you've got Paul, if you look at the previous verses in this chapter, he's went to the Jerusalem Council, he has argued on the side of grace and the inclusion of everyone. These distinctions of Jews and Gentiles no longer apply. He has argued and battled against the Pharisee converts who were there and still arguing, no, they must follow the law, they can't be part of us if they're not doing X, Y and Z. No, Paul and Barnabas argued. It's about grace. God has done something brand new in Jesus Christ and these old categories no longer remain. People are to be included. The inclusion of all. And then the very next story is Barnabas saying, let's bring Mark back in. Yay, messed up. Let's bring him back in. And Paul's like, nah. He's having none of it. So now we find the person who before was championing, championing, that's harder to say than I thought, championing grace, is now all of a sudden, no, there's no grace for him at this point. He's refusing to allow him to be a partner in Christ with them again. And the remarkable thing is they do very soon reconcile. At some point Paul does realise that what he's doing isn't right. In Colossians 4 verse 10, Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you will have received instructions. If he comes, welcome him. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he has been very useful to me in my ministry. Philemon verse 24, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, greet you. So there was reconciliation, but yet at this point, he's no willing for it. In spite of the fact that he's just been championing grace. And has won that argument and created one of the biggest changes in the focus and perspective of the church that there would ever be when they recognise that what Jesus Christ has achieved draws in everyone. There is no cultural or religious distinction. The gospel goes to everyone. And the church is now in that place. And we see, I think, the danger of blind spots. The danger of blind spots here is the place on others' expectations we might not be conscious of. For Paul, there was clearly a blind spot of this guy is a deserter and I didn't want him anywhere near us anymore. Was he consciously aware of that? I'm not entirely sure. Are we consciously aware of the expectations that we might be placing on others? Not always. But what happens when they don't meet those expectations? And they can also, blind spots can also force us to go from a place of grace where Paul was in the previous verses to a place of exclusion and judgment, which is where he now is in these verses. 
And they can do the very same for us. What do we do when somebody doesn't meet the expectations that our blind spots place on them? Or when they accidentally have a good kick at one? How do we respond to that? Is it like me in the chicken, chicken pox gate and I put the phone down? Or is there a response different to that? There is a danger with blind spots. I remember once... Back when I was a young Christian, I was determined to feel as righteous as I possibly could. How deceived I was back then. And I remember we invited Adrian Plath to come along to preach and on our church anniversary. Now that was quite a coup. Adrian Plath is quite a well-known speaker. And he came and he spoke. But I remember being so potentially offended by the notion of this man's irreverence that I was questioning whether I was even going to bother go along. I did in the end go along, and it was actually really funny. But I didn't really have any idea of what the blind spot was until this guy hit it. My desire for self-righteousness and to compartmentalise everything, I couldn't make this guy fit any of that stuff. And therefore, I didn't want to be around him. But God used that situation actually to move me past what I was struggling with. So what are your blind spots? You don't know. Your partner probably does. They'll know some of them. Your friends will, as this guy in my stories did. Person sat beside you, whether how close you are with them or not, might do as well. There is something called Jahari's window. Now I don't like mentioning these things when other people are very qualified and such things. But Jahari's window is this concept of our awareness of self. So it's got four boxes. Now I like things like this. It's all boxes. It's compartmentalised. I can, I can dig this kind of theory. But the first of these is known self. So this is your box up here. Things that we know about ourselves and others know about us. That's, that's a good box. Then we've got the hidden self. Things that we know about ourselves that others don't. And I think we all recognise that we have that box. Things that we know but others don't. And we are quite happy for it to stay that way. Would anyone the stuff in box two ending up in box one? That's for sure. And you've got box three down here. And this is your blind self. This is the things that our blind spot would be impacted by. This is the things that often others would know about us, but we don't know about ourselves. And this is where our spouses could come in handy. By the way, I have to confess, I'm not asking Karen what my blind spots are. <laughs> Whether you ask or not, that's up to you. <coughs> so you've got the blind self here, box three, and then down here you've got box four. This is the unknown self, things that neither we nor others know about us. And this again is an area where blind spots can function quite nicely. So you've got these two boxes down here in which we will have, without question, blind spots. Things others know about us that we don't know. And I would like to think we would all recognise that there are things that others see in us that we don't see ourselves, either because we choose not to see it or because we're blind to it. Things others, when they eventually tell us, we're struck by it. And it switches a light on. And then the unknown self. Well, there is no argument about that. Everyone knows there's a part of us that we're not is tapped into is certainly what we are in part, part one whether this is our nurture whether it's nature whether it's culture all these different things that are going to make us react in different ways to different situations 
So I think what we have is the danger that the blind self and the unknown self, the expectations that these can place on others and their reaction if they're hit, if these blind spots are hit, mean that we could end up like Paul and lose sight of grace. Lose sight of grace and could potentially find ourselves in places where we're arguing instead for exclusion based on judgment. It's a risk for every single one of us. For Paul and Barnabas, this fruitful partnership that they'd had ended here. They had this sharp disagreement, it says. I love, how the, fa- I love the fact that Scripture doesn't try to hide any of the failings. They're just there like everything else as it recounts God using people. Because the truth is, for both Barnabas and Paul, they both pick new partners and off they go and they are both still fruitful. The fact that there is this failing here doesn't actually impact the spread of the gospel, but it does impact the relationships of these people. The reality is, at this point we see a fruitful partnership end and the relationship and dynamic between them both change for good. Whether they're reconciled in the future, and I would be fairly certain that they did, there was never again this deep, fruitful relationship that they had at, that, at this point. And I have to say that I think there was blind spots hit, probably on both sides. You had Barnabas, who's always known for being this soft and gentle guy that really seeks to bring others in and nourish them. And you've got Paul, who's often known as that, but occasionally harsh and abrasive. And they just can't find any middle ground. These things play havoc, and the relationship splits. And the danger for us as Christians also living in community it's the same thing can happen when the expectations aren't met by a fellow brother and sister when the blind spots are hit by a fellow brother and sister how do we respond what do we do about it when we might feel we're on the back foot or when we might feel our face getting flushed red because we're really irritated what do we do the risk is we do what these guys did entrenched themselves in their own perspective and split and the relationship was impacted by that so the big question then is how can we deal graciously when ours are hit and guess what they will be or when our expectations aren't met I think my example at the start is a good example of how not to do it. Because I think we would all agree that this chap is pretty caught off guard by his friends suddenly challenging him. And the challenge is pretty direct and somewhat unmerciful. I don't know if that's really the best way to go about these things. And neither, I think, is Paul and Barnabas. Because they don't navigate around this. And we see many places in scripture where there are situations where blind spots are hit. 
And we see people move past it. I would say Peter and the centurion is most definitely one of those. No matter how many times Jesus had told him he was going to the Gentiles, it wasn't quite twigging. But he gets past it when he sees God move in this remarkable and powerful way. You've got Paul on Damascus Road filled with hate for Christians. Going to arrest them. And it's not just a blind spot that's removed. At that point, his eyes are open to see the truth. And he becomes one of those who is championing and guiding the church. Paul, even just before this, as he debates with the Pharisee converts, blind spots are removed as the church comes to one mind and decides they are not placing the law of circumcision on the Gentiles. Blind spots exist. I have them. I'm sure I do. You have them. We see them in one another. But how do we deal with them? Because that for me is the key thing. And for me the answer is remarkably simple. Grace. That's how we deal with blind spots. By showing grace to one another. And an attitude of acceptance that we have them. And I would like to think every single person here would acknowledge that we do. When we are in a situation where either ours or somebody else's has been exposed, we respond with grace, with patience. And sometimes that might mean biting our gum or our tongue so hard that we taste blood. But sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it might mean we have to speak with the person about it. If we come to a view of something that somebody's doing and we think, actually, they have absolutely no idea that they are doing that. We don't do it like the example at the start. Please don't do it like that. Because it's not nice on the person. And you're also probably going to give me more work to do as well because I'll have to try and deal with the situation as it unfolds. (laughs) But we do it with grace. With gentleness. With what the Bible defines as wisdom from above. That's how we begin a conversation with somebody if we feel we have to. The truth is, blind spots can so easily create hostility because we're not aware of them. So we might instantly think the other person's been unreasonable or they might think we are being unreasonable. They can escalate hostility very easily. But grace de-escalates hostility. It neutralises it and brings the possibility of forgiveness and change. God has called all of us to live together in community. At times that's absolutely wonderful and everything just moses along brilliantly. Other times iron sharpens iron and we bump in ways which can produce sparks at times. Some of that, I wouldn't say anywhere near all of it, because some of it is intentional when people react, but some of it It's based on things like this. Things that we hold 
maybe precious and valuable and somebody else pokes at it and we don't actually realise as we react just what's going on. But the risk is just like the one here where we see Paul championing grace and leaving that situation and flipping over and saying, no, that person doesn't get to join us. It's not happening. The flip can be that easy. So we be aware. Be aware of our thoughts and our feelings and our engagements with others and we try to fill them with grace. That, for me, is the solution to the response of either having accidentally triggered a reaction or if we ourselves are about to give the reaction. And as we do that, we de-escalate conflict or even remove it completely and find ways to move forward with people who maybe have put our backs up a little bit. Let's learn from verses like that. That's why God's put them here. What to do in these different situations and move forward as a community. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you above all for the grace that you've poured out on our lives. Lord, we have many blind spots when it comes to the sin in our lives. Things that grieve you that we have no real idea of. And yet forgiveness is assured in Christ Jesus when we turn and when we are repentant. Lord, help us to show the same kind of grace towards one another, Lord. Especially when we feel either that people have reacted in strange ways to us or where we are about to respond in those ways to others. But to show understanding. And not to let things like our blind spots become things that divide us from one another. But instead, that they become opportunities for growth in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with you, and in our Christ-like witness to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will soon be heading into a time of communion together. Before I do that, I'd like to invite Hannah up, who's going to lead us.